The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning. Welcome to Westway Christian Church. I'm really glad that you're here today. If you have your Bible, I would encourage you to open it to 2 Peter chapter 3. Uh, you can also follow along in, our, in the YouVersion app where we have an event that's geared uh, just for today that has most of the verses listed in there. And while you're doing that, um, I just want to make sure, um, and we know that many of you know that, um, that John McAwee, or Jack, excuse me, Jack McAwee passed away uh, last week. His viewing is today from 2 to 4 at Duke and Kramer, um, and the funeral is tomorrow here at 10. Um, Jack was an elder here, a long-term elder here at Westway Christian Church. I know he was instrumentally like, involved in the construction um, of, of, this, uh, of this building, um, this side of it. So we want to um, just be grateful for his work. We want to uh, remember him. We want to be, be with and support the family. Um, so let's, let's take a moment and let's pray together. God, we are thankful for the faithfulness of of men like Jack McAwee, for dedication to you over decades. We're thankful for the leadership that he demonstrated here, not just as an elder, but in multiple ways. And we ask that you would comfort the family during this time, that you would be with those in our church body um, who were impacted uh, by Jack, who were discipled by Jack and his wife. We just ask that you would um, be the God of comfort. We would experience you as the God of comfort. And it's in your son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So in 2021, two years ago, there was this survey done by an organization called YouGov. And this is, this is the result of the survey. And if you have version, you'll see this graphic in your version um, event for today. But here's the result of this survey. Americans are more confident than Britons that they could beat any animal in a fight. Americans are more confident than Britons that they could beat any animal in a fight. What kinds of animals you might ask. That would be a great question. So of the people polled, 72% of Americans who were polled um, said that they could beat a rat in a fight if they were unarmed. Compare that to 67% of Britons. House cat, 69% of Americans think they could beat a house cat if they were unarmed in a fight compared to 66%. Well, now the the gap is going to start to grow with the very next animal, a goose. 61% of Americans think they could take a goose in a fight if they were unarmed, which that's, you know, that's a little generous compared to 45% of Britons. Well, there's a whole list of animals in here, and then you get down to the bottom of the list, and, and this is where, this is where we begin to underestimate reality, as Americans. This is where we begin to not understand what exactly it is we're fighting against. Like we've watched too many Disney movies, I think. So 9% of Americans polled think they could defeat a crocodile in an unarmed fight compared to just 3% of Britons. A gorilla, 8% of Americans compared to 2% of Britons. 
a lion. 8% of Americans interviewed said they could defeat a lion if they were unarmed. An elephant. 8% of Americans think they could take it. Like, what are you going to do to it? Have you seen an elephant? It's like a bus, right? And then the last one, a grizzly bear. 6% of Americans polled said they'd take a grizzly bear if they were unarmed in a fight. Again, compared to 2% of Britons. See, we vastly underestimate our own abilities. Vastly underestimate our own abilities. We vastly underestimate the abilities of these animals. And I think there's a spiritual component in this, and we talked about it last week. I think we vastly underestimate the ability of our spiritual enemy. Vastly underestimate the abilities of our spiritual enemy. And so what Peter is doing here, he's, as we finish this series out, Peter is going to write two letters to groups of churches to help them understand the day in which they lived and to help them understand their reality. Like some of these people who believe they could defeat a grizzly bear, they need to watch some actual documentaries and see how powerful a grizzly bear is. Like they need, they need a letter from someone telling them, defining for them reality so they do not underestimate their own realities. In Peter's first letter, he told his readers how they should live as Christians, when they are surrounded by people who are not Christians. Dear Christian brothers and sisters, live this way. The world in which you live is coming against you. There's going to be a greater time of persecution than you've ever even been able to imagine. And you, Christians, need to live a certain way. There's a certain way you need to live. There's a certain set of behaviors you need to function under. There's a day coming where you are going to really be challenged. And what's interesting in, in this first letter, and he does it in the second letter as well, is Peter reorients their thinking. See, oftentimes what we do when we, when we hear of a challenge, we are quick to ask, like, how can we meet this challenge? What's the thing that I need to do? So, like, what are the pressure points on the grizzly bear so I can defeat the grizzly bear? Well, what Peter does is he, he does something that's really important for us. He reminds them of who God is, and he reminds them of what God has done. See, that's his, that's his starting point. Churches, there's this reality out there. And before we get into all of the things that you need to do, you need to know who God is. You need to remember who God is. You need to remember what God has done. This is really important for us. God is the father of Jesus. He's the giver of great mercy through the sacrifice of Jesus. And what Peter says in 1 Peter is, is because God is holy, he's, he's made believers holy. That's who God is. That's what he's done. And it's really important for us to understand this, that, that we're not made holy by our own actions. See, it's really easy for us, and this is one of the false teachings that, we're gonna, that, that, that we would read about in 2 Peter. It's easy for us to think that the reason we are holy is because of who we are. 
because of the things that we do, right? Before I was a Christian, I used to do this, and now I don't do this anymore. And we somehow think that that's what makes us holy. But what Peter is reminding these churches is that the reason they're holy is because of God. God has given them something. And we will only survive this time knowing who God is, knowing what he's done for us, will only survive this time if we prepare our minds for action and exercise self-control. These are the behaviors as Christians that we're called to do. By living as God's obedient children, by getting rid of evil behavior, by submitting to our governmental authorities. And remember who he's writing this to. He's writing this to a government that is coming against them by submitting to them, but not conforming to them. And the only way we will do those things, and this is, this again, we have to remember that we're not holy because of who we are. We're not holy because of what we do. We will only be able to do those things if we arm ourselves with the same attitude that Jesus had. That's the way. If you want to know, like we read what the Bible says and doesn't it just seem impossible? There's no way I could ever follow this. There's no way I could ever do it. And on your own, you're right. See, what we need is we need to be changed from the inside out. We need something else going on with us. We need to be ready to suffer. The only way we can be obedient to what God calls us to is by having the same attitude that Jesus had. That, that's the only way. And he gives us this power. God gives us his power. And we have to also remember that the Christian life is not a life that's free from suffering and pain. And that's another thing that can really creep into Christian culture. That if we, if we give our lives to Christ or when we give our lives to Christ, we're, we're not going to suffer. We're never going to face hardship. Is that anyone's reality in this room? See, I would, I would say that in fact, we, we suffer more. We face hardships more than others face them. So the Christian life is not about being free from suffering and pain. It is about remaining strong despite suffering and pain. How do I, how do I live? All right, we talked about this, I think, back in Romans. That Francis Schaeffer question, how should we then live? What should I do? And then Peter is going to warn his readers, there's a real enemy prowling around like a lion and he's out to devour you. And not the kind of lion that, that's, that 6% of Americans think they're going to defeat. But there's a spiritual enemy that we have and he is seeking those whom he may devour. So then he writes a second letter. And he begins the second letter the same way he begins the first. By telling us who Jesus is. Jesus is our God and our Savior. He tells us what Jesus has done. Because of Jesus' justice and fairness, and some other translations are going to use the word righteousness, because of Jesus' righteousness, he has given us faith because of his justice and his fairness. And again, we do not have righteousness on our own. Jesus did not look at us and think, that person is really going to be an awesome, righteous person, so I'm going to make him righteous. No, he saw us where we were. He saw us in really who we were. 
who our nature without God is, and he, in his justice and his fairness and in his righteousness, he made us holy. He made us his. And we got to get that these things are only available to us from God. We don't have them on our own. We're not righteous because we try to be righteous. We're not righteous because we say we're righteous. We're righteous because of the gifts that God has given us. And if we don't have that righteousness, if we don't have the righteousness that God has given us, just to be like, as we go into Easter, just to be very clear for us, if we don't have the righteousness that God has given us, the covering of righteousness that God has given us, you're not a Christian. If I don't have that righteousness because of what Jesus has done, I'm not a Christian. Comparatively speaking, I might be a really great person when I think about what my neighbor does or what my friends do, what my coworkers do, because Joe and Cody and Zane are nuts in this place. So compared to them, I am way more righteous. Right? What we want to do is we want to we want to compare ourselves to other people. And what Peter is telling us, what the gospel tells us, because first and second Peter are really gospel messages. What the gospel is telling us is that we're only righteous through Christ. And that's a, that's a bitter pill, I think, for a bunch of us. Because we want to earn our own salvation. We want to earn our own way. And because of what God has done, each and every person has the responsibility to respond. So we hear this message. We hear who God is. We hear what he's done for us. And we, we have to ask this question. So then, what, what should I do? Right? Because we're, we're doers. We want to do something. We want to contribute something. And in the Gospels, there are several different people who ask very similar questions. They ask questions like, what must I do to have eternal life? What must I do, how we would interpret that? How, do I, like, how, do I be, how am I saved? Maybe we would ask the question, how, how do I get to heaven? What do I have to do? And Jesus' answer boils down to two things. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then what Jesus did was he spent his whole ministry career, his three-year-long ministry career, not just telling people what those things look like, but demonstrating them. So the disciples and the people who were around Jesus could look to Jesus and not just hear his words, but see the way that he demonstrated those words. To see what loving God fully looked like. To see what loving people fully looked like. And if we, if we have those questions, like what does that really mean? Just can't tell you enough, and it won't surprise you. Read the four Gospels. Observe the life of Jesus Spend time in the text. And a, and a good thing for you to do, like a great rubric would be, in this story, how is Jesus demonstrating his complete love for the Father? 
when I'm reading this thing, like whatever story it is, how is Jesus demonstrating his complete love for the Father? And then a second question. How is Jesus demonstrating his complete love for other people? How is he doing that? And we want to mimic that. So our, our response is to not do a whole bunch of religious things. Again, like this is just how we're wired. Right? I'm not just going to do one Bible reading plan on version. I'm going to do five Bible reading plans on version. I'm not just going to read one set of texts today out of my Bible. I'm going to read an entire chapter, and we want to just do all of these kinds of things because we have convinced ourselves that the path to righteousness is doing when it's really loving. It's trusting in who Jesus is. And Peter knows all of these things because he was with Jesus. We can't ever forget that everything that Peter is talking about Everything that Peter is talking about in these two letters is coming from the lens of personal interaction with Jesus. I was with Jesus. I watched Jesus. I heard Jesus. I prayed with Jesus. I was rebuked by Jesus. I was called Satan by Jesus. I was forgiven by Jesus. I was restored by Jesus. I was sent by Jesus. And what we have to know is while this transformation is happening in us as we're becoming more and more like Jesus, there are, there are people who are out to destroy us, and this was all of last week. False teachers and false teachings, they're out to destroy us. And their mission, their purpose is to lead you away from God. That's why they exist. They're like that lion that we think we can defeat. I think times we underestimate our spiritual enemy. We underestimate false teachers. And again, this is why Peter begins his letters, not with us, but with God. And what I would encourage you to do this week, I would encourage you to flip through all of the letters in the Old Testament, regardless of who wrote them, and see how those authors began every single letter. Not with who the people were. Not with what the people should do. But with an identifier of who God or Jesus was and what they did. This is something we need to be reminded of. And this is not new information for these believers. Remember, he's writing to Christians. So why if that's the case, and this is not new information, and we all know this, right? I remember one time, I think I've shared this before, when I was in student ministry, at the end of our Wednesday night, one night, I said, okay, hey, next week, we're going to come back, we're going to talk about John 3.16, and I li literally, students groaned, like, oh, because we're like, we've heard it all before, right? Isn't that our attitude sometimes? We think we've heard all this before. There's no new information. Why do we need to hear this? Why do we need to go through this? These Christians are likely asking that exact same question. Let's read from 2 Peter 3, 1 to 7, because in these verses, he's going to tell us why he's writing these letters. It says this, 
This is my second letter to you, dear friends, and in both of them, I've tried to stimulate your wholesome thinking and refresh your memory. I want you to remember what the Holy Prophet said long ago and what our Lord and Savior commanded through your apostles. Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come, mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. They deliberately forget that God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command, and he brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water. Then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They're being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. So Peter is writing this letter, and I would say he's writing the first letter, to remind his readers of what the prophet said and what Jesus had commanded. It's a reminder. It's to help them remember. Peter wants his readers to think correctly and remember that the things the prophet said about Jesus were fulfilled by Jesus. We talked about this last week in our pastor's review. Like, what's the, what's the benefit of remembering something? How does, how does remembering things, like, stir our thinking? What does this do? These are some things we came up with. Remembering makes us ask why. Why did this happen? Why did that happen? Remembering helps us evaluate Remembering helps us to reinforce our current decisions. Yeah, I remember the last time I did this, this happened. I want to do that again, so I'm going to, so I'm going to do it. I needed that reminder. Thank you for that reminder. I wasn't sure how I responded the last time. Remembering helps us change our minds. Oh, man, I remember the last time I did that. This thing happened. I don't want that to happen again. And change my mind. Redirect not do that same thing that I've done before that led to this bad outcome. There's a purpose for remembering. And remembering keeps us encouraged. Remembering keeps us encouraged. We should not be surprised what Peter says. We should not be surprised by false teachers or false teachings. And I think sometimes we can be in this space where we hear a false teacher or we hear a false teaching or we hear something that's counter to the gospel and we, we act so surprised by it. I can't believe the, the world is doing this. I can't believe the world is doing that. I can't believe that someone would say this about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when I hear that stuff, I'm just in the back of my mind, I'm like, what, what, what do you mean? We have, been, we have been told by this, we should not be surprised. We should not be surprised when people persecute us as followers of Christ. It's nothing new. He says that they will think correctly when they trust in the God of history. Remembering that God was faithful to his promises. God was faithful to his promises. God is faithful to his promises and God will be faithful to his promises. So we have to remember this. This is, this is why we want to read and study scripture. Because this tells us 
how God has acted in the past. As we shared last week in 2 Peter 2, Peter talks about historical precedents. Like when we're wondering, is God going to be faithful? All these people had to do was look back to the Old Testament and see how he was faithful. To see how God was true. How God delivered these people. And 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 I feel like I'm in a similar situation. And if I demonstrate faith, God's going to deliver me too. That's, that's why we have these texts. This is why we have the written word. A couple verses that came to mind for me. Romans 15, 4 says this. Such things were written in, scripture, in these scriptures long ago to teach us. And the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. So when we read the Old Testament, we're like, why is this here? Why is this here? Why is this here? It's written to teach us. It's written to give us hope and encouragement while we wait patiently for God's will to be fulfilled. This is why we have the Bible. This is why we encourage you to read and spend time and study the Bible. To increase your confidence in what God has done. I also think of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6. These things, and now to be, to be sure, Paul is talking about very specific things from history. Talking about very specific things from history. But we have to remember that there's a principle behind what these writers say too. We can learn from it. These things happened as a warning to us so that we would not crave evil things as they did or worship idols as some of them did. That's remembering, right? That's being reminded of, of what happens when you disobey God, that bad things happen. And if those bad things happen to the Israelites, maybe what I shouldn't do is be disobedient to God because God punished them. They paid a price for their disobedience. So, remembering this historical thing, this historical activity that took place, it's history, it's real, it's not a product of our imagination. And then a few verses later in 11, it says this, Paul writes, these things happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live to the end of the age. See, I, you know, I love history. And I also love biblical history because it tells me the acti activities of a God who loves and cares for his people. And that increases my own confidence. That allows me to make choices and make decisions that bring God honor and glory because I see how he responds when we have opportunities to be obedient to him. And I think it can be easy for us too. Like, we're also ready for history to be culminated, aren't we? Like, aren't we just ready for Jesus to come back? Won't that be, like, won't that be a good day? Can we agree that that'll be a good day when Jesus returns? It'll like, and that's like minimizing it, right? It'll be a good day. 
It'll be a super fantastic day when Jesus returns. And we ask this question that these false teachers are asking. The question we ask is, well, what's taking so long? Like, why doesn't he just come back today? Why didn't he come back January 1st of 2020? Wouldn't that have been awesome? To skip COVID-19? Wouldn't that have been great? Why didn't Jesus come back at the beginning of 2008 before my wife was diagnosed with cancer the first time? I didn't, like, why doesn't Jesus come back? Like, what's he waiting for? What's, what's taking so long? Let's read verse 8. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in a fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Now, how are you feeling about Jesus coming back? Like, it's going to be awesome. What'd you say, Willie? Let him cut. It's going to be awesome. It's like, this is going to be something. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live, looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and new earth he's promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen... Make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. And remember that our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. This is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him. Speaking of these things in all of his letters. Some of his comments are hard to understand and those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different. Just as they do with other parts of scripture. And this will result in their destruction. Here's what Peter's doing. He is reminding the people of God's perspective and patience. He's reminding the people of God's perspective and patience. When is Jesus coming back? When is he coming back? I don't think he is. There's a perspective that we, his readers, don't have. And what you need to know is God's not slow. He's patient. Not slow, he's patient. See, for us, we have this perspective where, where we see sin and we see unrighteousness and we see injustice and, and we want to act. And in certain cases, like we should. Like when, when we have the opportunity, like we should do something about it, right? But God's perspective is a desire for repentance. God's, God's perspective is a desire for mercy. And we see this throughout the entire Bible. Genesis chapter 3. 
Genesis 2, the people, Adam and Eve are warned, right? You can eat from any tree in the garden. Just don't eat from that one. On the day you eat of it, you'll die. What happens, Genesis 3? They eat the fruit of the garden. And what does God do? He covers them. He provides mercy. I mean, he punishes the snake, right? And there are consequences for sin. But he provides mercy. Years and years and years later, when the Israelites are wandering around the desert during the time of the Exodus, and they're living a constant life of complaining about lack of food and a lack of water, what does God do? He gives them food and he gives them water. See, God's response is mercy and grace. He meets our sinfulness with an opportunity to demonstrate mercy and grace. But here's the thing. There's a real judgment coming. Did you see that in the text? There is something that is going to happen at some point in the future. And that's not, it's not like we have come to the end of God's mercy. After all, when the disciples asked Jesus how many times I should forgive someone, Seven times? No, 70 times seven. God's not sitting up there with a tally sheet waiting for us all to hit 490 before the end times comes. It's not a matter of God's running out of patience with us. It is a matter of when our rejection comes to the fullness. When everyone has had the opportunity to hear of the reality of who Jesus is, when everyone has had the opportunity to hear about God's mercy, And people are going to make their choice. And what he's saying here, what Peter is saying is, God is so merciful. And God is so kind. And God is so gracious. And you cannot out-sin God's grace. You can reject it. And when we do that, when it gets to that point, this is coming. There's a final judgment. There's a final reckoning. And our job while we're waiting for this is not to to do all of the things that our culture says we should do. Give in to grumbling. Give in to complaining. Try to bring justice our own way. What we are supposed to do is demonstrate patience as God demonstrated mercy to us. That's the way. And I wonder sometimes as Christians, have we forgotten, have we forgotten the way that God has demonstrated justice and mercy to us? When we get so wrapped up in sin and unrighteousness and injustice of other people, when we sit in judgment of people who sin differently than us, the question we have to ask ourselves is, have we forgotten God's mercy? Have you forgotten God's mercy? Have you forgotten how patient God was with you? Like it's, for me, it's way more than 490. I don't think there's enough sheets of paper to tally it. God is merciful. God is patient. And we are to demonstrate the same love to other people. That's how we do this. And I love, I'm just going to say this before we finish out this chapter. I love what Peter says about Paul. 
This is what our beloved Paul wrote to you, also wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him, the speak, speaking of those things, these things in all his letters. Some of his comments are hard to understand. Who's ever read anything from Paul and been like, I have no idea what Paul's talking about? This is Peter, who had been with Jesus. And you know what Peter says? I have no idea what Paul's talking about sometimes. You're in good company. Can I just relieve that pressure for you? If you're reading the Bible and you're like, man, I, like, I, I just have no idea what this thing's talking about. Peter, one of the three, had no idea what the Bible was talking about sometimes. But that's good, that's good news for you. It's good news for me. These are verses 17 and 18. You already know these things, dear friends. I think this is the seventh time in 2 Peter 3 that Peter has used the concept of remembering, reminding, do not forget. You already know these things, dear friends, so be on guard. Then you will not be carried away by the errors of these wicked people and lose your own secure footing. Rather, you must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. All glory to him both now and forever. Here's what Peter is doing. He's reminding them of God's coming and final judgment. There's, there's a time coming. Like this is all going to end at some point. And for my Christian brothers and sisters, it's like it's coming. Jesus is going to descend and it's going to be a good, it'll be a good day. Lots of fire, lots of chaos. Whatever action movie you've ever seen, it's going to be way, I don't want to say cooler than that because it's going to be a lot of destruction. There's going to be a lot going on, but Jesus is coming and he's telling the believers that Jesus is coming. And because of that, because of that, you need to be on guard. See, Jesus is coming back, so you need to be on guard. Now, now more than ever, you need to be on guard. Don't be tricked by false teachers or false teachings. Don't underestimate your enemy. It says here, you'll not be carried away by the errors of these wicked people and lose your own secure footing. So you can walk away from God is what Peter is saying here. And there are lots of people who are doing that. Lots of people who are walking away from God. And don't underestimate your enemy. Don't be so confident in yourself that this isn't you. It's not only be on guard, it's grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I really wish I had paid more attention to science when I was in high school. I hated math. I hated science. I've learned to love them. And one of the things that science teaches us, sorry, Michaela, one of the things that science teaches us is that an object at rest tends to stay at rest. The opposite of that is also true. An object in motion tends to stay in motion. And, and here's reality. God has given us 
something. And he's told us to respond. And you will not grow in your wisdom and knowledge of Jesus Christ in a way that leads to transformation by being passive. You won't. I know you think you will. I know we think, I don't don't have to do these things. But objects at rest tend to stay at rest. And objects in motion tend to stay in motion. And he doesn't say, passively await the return of Jesus. He doesn't say, passively rest in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He says, grow in it. Grow in it. Take steps. Take action. Grow in it. Because of the way, the way of the Christian is transformation. As we read through the entire Bible, what we see is the way to grow in our relationship with God is to be transformed by God. That's not something that we do. It's something that he does. And we respond. And these letters demand a response from us. We have to do something. We have a student with us today from Summit Christian College, um, Dio Owayo. I think I pronounced that right. Did I get it? Perfect. Dio wants to come up. Dio is a senior at Summit Christian College. Uh, Dio is doing his mentored ministry here at Westway Christian Church this semester. Dio is going to be doing his internship here in the fall um, with student ministry with Zane. And last Sunday, after after our conversation about being assured in our salvation being confident in what God has done for us. Uh, Dio came up to me afterwards and he said, hey, sometime this week I want to be able, I want to get together with you. So we got together on Wednesday and um, talked for probably 35, 45 minutes, something like that. And Dio, um, Dio talked to me about baptism. And Dio talked to me about his baptism when he was younger. So we talked about we talked about assuredness and confidence and and why someone is baptized, why someone's not baptized, and I'm just going to hand him the mic and I'm going to let him share uh, what he wants to say this morning. Thank you. Um, yeah, that's true. I I was once baptized when I was younger, um, except I didn't really understand what it was or what baptism really was, or I didn't really have a grasp of the significance it was of actually devoting my life to Christ. And I'd say, you know, this has definitely been a conflict that I've had for a while. This has not been some spur of the moment moment decision. I've definitely thought, and I've prayed about this for a long time. And the reason why is because when I was baptized, yeah, I did, I had done it for the wrong reasons. I've done it, I did it for the sake of others, and I did it primarily because, you know, it was just kind of one of those, you know, felt like I had to, or even then simply just doing it so I could get my parents off my back or 
get the church off my back. And, you know, I right after that baptism, it, nothing really ever changed for me. I never really did anything with my faith. In fact, it probably just kind of got worse for me from there. I dropped my faith for a bit and started conforming more into the world and its patterns, and I started acting in those ways. Uh, I was more ashamed of my faith than anything. And, you know, eventually in high school, I started taking my faith seriously. And I started to, once again, you know, try to pick up the Bible and see, you know, what, what, what does God have to say? And when I started coming to Summit, I'd say I started making a lot of the progress in my faith here at, well, at Summit. And throughout that time, it's been challenging because, sure, I knew I was baptized, but I didn't feel quite confident or I didn't feel quite secure in my faith or in the salvation that, you know, I thought I had. And John kind of brought that up in our conversation where, you know, it kind of would almost feel like we'd be, you know, hindered or almost neutered in a sense of doing ministry or just being able to, you know, confidently and boldly go out and spread God's truth by having that internal conflict. And I was like, yeah, I know, <laughs> because I've experienced that for quite a while. And I made the decision to want to get baptized this time, not, you know, not to rededicate, but to actually dedicate my life to God wholeheartedly on my own will and accord. So I could show God that my life is his and I'm doing this for him and not for the sake of others or not for the sake of just anybody else but him. And I wanted him to be the focal point for this. And so I'm making that decision today and I'm wanting to just go on full like wholehearted faith in God and trusting in him and just wanting, I just want to be there, express my thankfulness for you guys being here and being able to witness that. And obviously John mentioned, brought it up. He's like, if I see you in 10 years and you're coming back to me and, you know, just asking that question again, am I really saved? I mean, I imagine he's probably going to smack me up the head, but, but, you know, we had this conversation before and that's not what I'm wanting to turn today into. I don't want to turn this into an act that I feel like I'm going to have to repeat because it's not an act. It's just a devotion of my lifestyle to Christ and a commitment to the relationship I have with him. So thank you guys. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. Let's pray. God, you offer us a way to be confident in the salvation that you offer. You offer us opportunity to respond. Thankful for Dio, I'm thankful for his, for his honesty and his reflection and his remembering and I pray that those who are here with us today or are watching online who have never who've never made this decision, who do not have the assuredness and the confidence in the finished work of Jesus Christ, that we respond to in faith and obedience and repentance and baptism and confession. I pray that they would see this and desire to have the same confidence and assuredness. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.